Welcome, everybody, to the March Extra AF. I'm Kina. And I'm Ashley. And this has been another month of 2021. And it wasn't as long as last year's March, but good Lord, it was long. It seems, no, well, I was about to say it's a little less on fire than last month, but not really. It's just a different kind of fire. Yeah. Last March. What a trip. It's been fun to watch all of our time hops and kind of see where we were and how hopeful that this was going to be two weeks plus. Yeah, I saw somebody post a uh, a memory from last year where she was like, wow, remember when we were like counting how many days we were in quarantine, thinking it wouldn't be that long? Yeah. yeah. I know. I really thought it was going to be over and done with. Like my mom was supposed to come visit in February and it's like, well, let's just hold off a couple of weeks. <laughs> I'm vaccinated. My mom's going to be completely vaccinated next week. And then my sister will be vaccinated the weekend after. And then so I got a plane ticket to go see them in May. And I'm so excited. I haven't seen them since 4th of July, 2019. Oh, man. So that's going to be awesome. Yeah. Plane tickets are cheap. Yeah. I'm fully vaccinated. Terry will be fully vaccinated as of this coming week. His second shot is this coming week. And then next weekend, my friend Amy is coming down. I haven't seen her for like, God, four years or something. So I'm so excited to see her and we're getting matching tattoos and yeah, my my college bestie, which is funny because we got to talking about how you and your college bestie, Natalie, who's Patreon fam. We're, we were all at the college at the same time, and we, we knew the same people, but yeah, none of us ever saw each other when we yeah, were there. Yeah, it's still so weird to me that like we never crossed paths, and we were there at the exact same time. Exactly. That's, yeah, she came to visit. We went to a gallery. It's one of those interactive modern art installations. It was that really fun. so cool. It was, and I was really impressed how they did it. Like You walked in, and they took your temperature on your wrist, which I haven't had that one done before. That's smart. And they only let in probably like 10 people, and then each installation had its own room, Hmm. and they only let your group in that room. So you were never really around other people, which was really great for me because I don't like being around people. So it was the first time I have done anything since last March, so I was really scared, but it was fun. How did eating out go? It wasn't bad at all. We we stayed outside the whole time and there were a lot more people than I was comfortable with, but we were never close to anybody. So they had like an area, they had a band going. So it was outside and everybody sat there until your food or your table was ready. And then we were in a beer garden. So it's still outside. Right. But it wasn't bad. It was a little, a lot more people walking around and I was kind of like, but most people were in masks. So San Antonio, I was a little worried about because, you know, the river walk people tourists but everybody was still wearing a mask and good yeah made me a little bit more comfortable but speaking of covid one of our listeners and our fam has covid right now so if everybody could just take a moment to send prayers or witchy vibes or good thoughts and all the positive energy her way we'd really appreciate it yep i lit a candle last night ams she's in the hospital and having a rough time so we love you amber we miss you All right. Do you want to go first with what happened this month that made history? Absolutely. So it's going to be like a little bit different, but kind of not different than I normally do. It's, eh, we'll see. (laughs) Uh, I got this from Smithsonian Magazine. And it's something that is really cool that kind of touches on something that I'm really fascinated about in history that I hope 
becomes history. I know that's kind of vague, so stay with me. All right. So <laughs> the title of this article is This High Schooler Invented Color-Changing Sutures to Detect Infection. Oh, wow. How cool. So I'll tell you why I like picked this before I read it. So I'm fascinated by Imhotep, like the actual Imhotep in ancient Egyptian history, being a physician and how he used moldy bread to treat wounds. Yeah. And it's like one of the earliest instances of using like penicillin to treat wounds, but they didn't know it was penicillin. So this has the same kind of vibe to me. So I was really interested. If you're Facebook friends with me, some of the Patreon are, you saw me post this. So if you already read it, I'm sorry. (laughs) Okay. Deja Taylor has juiced about three dozen beets in the last 18 months. The root vegetables she found provide the perfect dye for her invention. Suture thread that changes color from bright red to dark purple when a surgical wound becomes infected. The 17-year-old student at Iowa City West High School in Iowa City, Iowa, began working on the project in October 2019 after her chemistry teacher shared information about statewide science fairs with the class. As she developed the suture, she nabbed awards at several regional science fairs before advancing to the national stage. This January, Taylor was named one of 40 finalists in the Regeneron Science Talent Research the country's oldest and most prestigious science and math competition for high school seniors. As any science fair veteran knows, at the core of a successful project is a problem in need of solving. Taylor had read about sutures coated with a conductive material that can sense the status of a wound by changes in electrical resistance and relay that information to the smartphones or computers of patients and doctors. While these smart sutures could help in the United States, the expensive tool might be less applicable to people in developing countries where internet access and mobile technology is sometimes lacking. And yet, the need is there. On average, 11% of surgical wounds develop an infection in low- and middle-incoming countries, according to the World Health Organization, compared to between 2 and 4% of surgeries in the U.S. Infections after cesarean section. Words are hard. (laughs) Infections after cesarean sections particularly caught Taylor's attention. In some African nations, up to 20% of women who give birth by C-section then develop surgical site infections. Research has also shown that health centers in Sierra Leone, the Democratic Republic of the Congo, and Burundi have similar or lower rates of infection at between 2 and 10% following C-sections than the U.S., where the rates range from 8 to 10%. But smartphone access is markedly different. A BBC survey published in 2016 found that in Sierra Leone, about 53% of people own mobile phones and about three quarters of those owned basic cell phones, not smartphones. I've done a lot of racially equity work in my community. I've been a guest speaker at several conferences, said Taylor. So when I was presented with this opportunity to do research, I couldn't help but go at it with an equity lens. Before the COVID-19 pandemic, Taylor spent most of her time after school in the Black History Game Show, a club she's been a member of since eighth grade and attending weekly school board and district meetings to advocate for an anti-racist curriculum. For the four months leading up to her regional science fair in February 2020, Taylor committed Friday afternoons to research under the guidance of her chemistry teacher, Carolyn Walling. Healthy human skin is naturally acidic with a pH around five. But when a wound becomes infected, its pH goes up to about 9. Changes in pH can be detected without electronics. Many fruits and vegetables are natural indicators that change color at different pH levels. Oh, wow. 
And I have a picture. I'll, sh I'll hold up the camera. I found that beets changed color at the perfect pH point, says Taylor. Bright red beet juice turns dark purple at a pH of nine. That's perfect for an infected wound. And so I was like, oh, okay. So beets is where it's at. Next, Taylor had to find a suture thread that would hold onto the dye. She tested 10 different materials, including standard suture thread, for how well they picked up and held the dye. Whether the dye changed color when its pH changed and how their thickness compared to standard suture thread, after her school transitioned to remote learning, she could spend four or five hours in the lab on an asynchronous lesson day running experiments. A cotton polyester blend checked all the boxes. After five minutes under an infection-like pH, the cotton polyester thread changes from bright red to dark purple. After three days, the purple fades to light gray. After five minutes under an infection-like pH, the cotton polyester thread changes from bright red to dark purple. I'm going to see. Oh, wow. So you can <laughs> see it starts red over here yeah. and then goes to dark over here. And then once it dries, it goes gray. Okay. That is brilliant. Working with an eye on equity and global health, she hopes that the color-changing sutures will someday help patients detect surgical site infections as early as possible so that they can seek medical care when it has the most impact. Taylor plans to patent her invention. In the meantime, she's waiting for her final college admissions results. The girl hasn't even gotten into college yet. Oh, my gosh. Like, oh, my gosh. Like, colleges better be banging down her door. That's what I was about to say. She should be able to get in any college she wants, hopefully. Yes. To get to the top 40, this is like postdoctoral work that these kids are doing, says Maya Ajmera, the president and CEO of the Society for Science, which runs the Science Talent Search. This year's top prizes went to a matching algorithm that can find pairs in an infinite pool of options, a computer model that can help identify useful compounds for pharmaceutical research and a sustainable drinking water filtration system. The finalists also voted to grant Taylor the Seaborg Award, making her a spokesperson for their cohort. Oh, cool. Catherine Chu, the director of the Center for Global Surgery at Stellenbosch University in South Africa, focuses on improving equitable access to surgical care. I think it is amazing that this young high school scientist was inspired to work on a solution to address this problem, the surgeon writes in an email. A product that could detect early surgical site infections would be extremely valuable. However, she adds, how this concept could translate from the bench to the bedside needs further testing. Current suture threads are good at their job. They're affordable, they're not irritating on the skin, and they are strong enough to hold a wound together. The beet juice dyed thread will need to be competitive on all of these attributes. Surgical site infections can also occur below the surface of a wound. A C-section involves cutting through and then repairing not just the skin, but also the muscle underneath. And it's, as it stands, the color-changing suture thread wouldn't, thread wouldn't help detect an infection below the skin. And if the infection oozes through the skin or involves the skin, the infection has already reached later stages. Lastly, the same non-absorbency that makes standard suture thread hard to dye with beet juice also keeps bacteria out and vice versa. While cotton thread's braided structure gives it the ability to pick up the beet dye, it also provides a hiding place for bacteria that causes infection. Taylor has been pursuing a line of research since the beginning of her project that might counteract the risk posed by using cotton. I read some studies that said beet juice was antibacterial, and although I want to take their word, I wanted to try it for myself. I wanted to re reproduce their results, she said. Let me show you a picture of her because she looks so happy and wonderful. She's yes. so smart, and I'm so proud of her. 
she still has a long way to go in her process. But A, it's International Women's Month. Mm-hmm. We're in the last day of it. So I want to support and shout out women doing the damn thing. B, she's the future of America. Oh, hell and yeah. she's going to make history. So I wanted to talk about her because, like, that's amazing. And a lot of science breakthroughs like this become history. Like, we talk about, you know, Thomas Edison and all of that. So, like, let's talk about them before they get the patents, too. Absolutely. I'm just – I'm so impressed just her thought process. Right. How to get there was just really interesting. I'm glad it yes. talked like, about it's that. Just, I, like, I always talk about – from the librarian standpoint, I always, always am hammering about equity in the community. Equitable, I throw that word around all the time, equitable access to resources. Yeah. It's the same kind of thing there, which was what really caught my eye in the first place is being able to equitably access medical care that you don't have to be rich mm-hmm. for. So yeah, I love it. I'm so proud of her. I just want her to do so good. There's no telling how long it would have taken otherwise for somebody to get the idea of having something that could be in places in the world that don't have smartphones. Yeah. She's really sped up that process, and that's really exciting. I mean, even if she doesn't do anything with it, which I highly doubt she would put this project down. Oh, yeah. Like, somebody else will take it from there, and, you know, there's always someone who's bouncing off someone else's idea. It's going to make some really good changes because especially with mortality rate in births, mm-hmm. especially in black women. I mean, oh, yeah. if you're looking at the mortality rates of black women giving birth in the U.S. alone, it's astounding. So to give any kind of hope that those numbers could go down is amazing. Absolutely. Yeah, it is very startling to see the statistics. Yeah. Especially in the U.S. because we are constantly calling ourselves the greatest you know healthcare in the world i even read that like serena williams when she had her most recent kid like she kept telling the nurse i feel like i have blood clots in my lungs because that happened last time and the nurse was like you're just overreacting and she got out of bed and like walked out into the hall and was like i need help right now and she like almost died Yeah. And then right after that, they created her that bodysuit that was compression for her blood clots. And then people threw a goddamn fit about it. Yeah. Because she looked hot as hell doing it. But it was literally to save her life. And people threw a fit. Such a bullshit, sexist, racist. Anyway, let's move on to something (laughs) else that's depressing. (laughs) (laughs) So I had something that happened this month in history. So, March 3rd, 1913, President-elect Woodrow Wilson rolls up in a train to Washington, D.C. the day before his inauguration, expecting all these crowds to be waiting for him to boost his old ego. But when he got there, it was all crickets. (laughs) No one showed up. He was flying high after beating the sitting President Taft and former President Teddy Roosevelt. So he was like flying high from that. And then when he showed up and nobody was there, he, he was kind of pissed. Bless so an aide, aide asked somebody, where did all the people go? And then somebody else said, they're watching the parade. And they were like, what parade? Dun, dun, dun. Double booked. <laughs> and a brilliant fuck you to the future president. The beginning of his presidency was overshadowed by an even bigger historical event, the massive suffrage parade. Oh, oh shit. Oh. shit. 
Don't get me wrong. The concept of suffrage for women was wildly unpopular at this time in United States history, and it was still absolutely unthinkable for women of color. So this wasn't like, let's go to the parade. It was a spectacle. People were like, what the fuck are they doing? It wasn't like anybody supporting this. Keep that in mind. And there were some states that allowed women to vote, but the idea really annoyed men and women who thought women should stay at home and let their husbands exercise political power. Exercise your face. Yeah. So 1913, the idea of women voting was still not great. Not great. And these kind of sentences make my blood pressure go up. I can feel it. I'm already like (laughs) sweating a little bit. Yes. And women had been at this for a long time. The Seneca Falls Convention happened in 1848, which is usually the date that they say it started. So let me do some ass here. 65 years. Yes, it has been 65 years at this point, and we're still not even close to when we actually get the right to vote. And I say we, white women. Yes, we'll get to that. Then at this point, even though they'd been going at it for 65 years, the movement had felt pretty like stagnant at this point, and they had lacked national support. So then enter 28-year-old Alice Paul. She had returned from England, where she had become friends with the radical suffragettes over there, and they used military-like tactics. Like, they were hardcore. So she's fired up, and she's ready to fuck up some shit. Now, Alice Paul is one of those figures in history that is both an inspiration, and she's also an example of what not to do and how we should learn from her to avoid doing what she did. So Reasonable. It's a very complicated part of history, I would argue. You know, while she was the key to the campaign for women's enfranchisement in the United States, she abandoned other groups pursuing the same freedoms along the way. So let's keep that in mind. Great Britain's suffragettes were just PR masters. They leveraged good and bad news to spread the word of their movement far and wide. So Paul proposed kind of like a similar tactic, and she wanted the National American Women's Suffrage Association to hold a parade to demand constitutional suffrage amendments and take advantage of the crowds and the press that were already there for Wilson's inauguration, which is brilliant. It's a good tactic. And it's also a good tactic because at this point they were focusing on states, like to get each state to allow it. And she's like, let's just reverse this. Let's go federal. If the federal set can happen all the states have to fall in line and paul wasn't content to just hold any parade she wanted the most visible symbolically powerful route possible she insisted on the route that passed down pennsylvania avenue as close to the crowds that had gathered for the inauguration and she wanted them to pass american landmarks like the capitol and the white house Hmm, i like it yes very symbolic and the police at first refused to give her a permit telling her that quote it's totally unsuitable for women to be marching down Pennsylvania Avenue. And as soon as they said that, she said, we have our route. They don't want us to do it. We're going to do it. Yeah, <laughs> like 100%. <laughs> if it's pissing you off, then that means that's exactly what we need to do. And other women used their political and family connections to pressure the police chief into changing his mind because eventually they were facing losing their funds if they said no. Oh. So at this time, a lot of wives of powerful men were getting on board and they're the ones that started pulling a lot of strings because they would go home and tell their husbands this is what's going to happen so oh yeah a lot of behind the scenes stuff 
And so the National Women's Movement agreed that the parade should be rife with political and social symbolism. They couldn't agree on one detail, though, and it was how to deal with black suffragists. Because they existed, they were fighting, they were trying to get rights for everybody. But at the time, Washington was segregated, and most historians kind of theorized that Paul feared that allowing black women in the parade would alienate the Southern suffragists. Southerners had a lot of money. But we can't ignore the fact, and a lot of sources do, but it is completely possible that she held racist views herself. She could have had a lot of internalized racism, and that could have led to this decision, too. So we can't really discount that because she is such an important figure in history. We can't really assume. I mean, she opened opened a door that was closed, but it Mm. was like kind of a half door. Yeah, but she slammed it in the face of black women, too. So it's yeah, like I love Alice Paul. She's one of those people in history that I I love learning about. And I think that if it wasn't for her and her strategic moves, in, especially this parade, it would have been forever before we got the right to vote. Right. But also, it's like you can't. There's a good quote. I'll get to it in a second. Okay, it good. thumbs up my thoughts. <laughs> So it doesn't really matter what the reason was. She did quietly discourage the participation of black suffragists and said that they had to march at the back of the parade. Mm. So she segregated the parade. And she's far from alone in making poor choices. Let's not forget that Gandhi neglected to stand in solidarity with the black South Africans that were in the same fight. You know, whether you're a history nerd or historian, it's really important to call out racism and not sugarcoat it because this is how we don't make these mistakes in the future. So it's not that I'm shitting on these people because they were extraordinary people, but they made some poor choices. And most of the people in history later on regretted this. Like Alice Paul regretted this later. She knew that she could never make up for what she did. Right. So this quote came from a website called Radical Tea Towel. It's a blog, but I... I actually really liked how they wrote this and it sums it up. So it says, when it comes to Alice Paul, then we can't reflect on her in one way alone. It's not the matter of celebration or condemnation, imitation or avoidance. Condemn unequivocally her racist hostility to the inclusion of African-American women in the U.S. suffrage movement and avoid her failure to appreciate that one group cannot be liberated until we all are. But I'm not certain that we can throw her in with the villains of history, lock, stock and barrel. In a world teeming with people either eager to oppress or happy to sit back and let it happen, Alice Paul took a stand and fought fiercely for what she saw as emancipation. Her vision was sadly only partial, and this failure led to her to take the side of reaction on key questions. Revolutionary but misguided, imperfect yet brave, Alice Paul is one icon of women's liberation we can perhaps all relate to in some way and also learn from. So I thought I put it pretty... Great. Like, we can't really condemn her as being a villain, but at the same time, like, we need to learn from her mistake. Right. We all can't be free until we all are. So Right. Right. It's a gray area. Yeah. 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 And and we're still, you know, women are still not making as much as men. And, you know, with the Black Lives Matter movement, it's so incredibly, hopefully obvious to everybody that we're not all equal. And it's still a fight we're in unfortunately. So back to the parade. Some people of color complied to the back of the line ruling with one notable exception, Ida B. Wells. Yes, my girl. Yes, I love her. 
She refused to march in a segregated group, saying, quote, either I go with you or not at all. She told the Illinois delegation, quote, I'm not taking the stand because I personally wish for recognition. I'm doing it for the future benefit of my whole race. Yes. On the day of the parade, she marched with the Illinois delegation and not in the back of the line with the rest of the black suffragists. Like the fucking queen she is. Yes. I love her. Oh, I love her so much. But I just love that. She's like, I'm not doing this for me, but I have to do it. Like she knew. And it's it's very powerful. So on the day of the parade, thousands of women and they estimate anywhere from 5,000 to 10,000 massed at the Capitol. At the front of the parade was Inez Milholland, and she was a pioneering suffragist who led the parade on top of a white horse. And she had this beautiful white gown and she had this like helmet, but it kind of looked like a crown. And her beauty played a huge part of it because it was going against the stereotype the suffragists were dour spinsters. Yeah. You know, she was gorgeous. She looked like a goddess. And that was absolutely the point. She was also in a lot of flyers and stuff too. Yeah. She was a yeah. perfect. That makes like a super poignant image that's, yeah, that's awesome. Yes. And she was very gorgeous. I'll show you a picture in a little bit. Uh, She was the perfect figurehead for the parade. She was followed by women from countries that allowed women to vote. So they also brought them in to be like, it's working for them, which is also a really great PR move. It all had suffrage pioneers and then state delegations. The world had never seen such a well-organized, impressive suffrage spectacle before. They had floats, they had nine bands, and they had white clad women. Everybody was wearing white, which if, yep. you know, especially with Hillary's campaign, you saw a lot of that symbolism and it came from this. They had this dignified air about it. Everything was just like pristine and so symbolic with an estimated 500,000 people watching too. Enormous amount of people. It's amazing. But then, but then, but then... People are assholes. So the parade started to get disrupted by really angry men. They refused to clear the way for the parading women. And when the police intervened, things began to get violent. Women were spit upon. They were slapped, punched, tripped, pelted with burning cigar stubs. And they just jolted insults, obscene language. And a lot of the newspapers said things were, quote, too vile to print or repeat. Why are men... (laughs) yes yeah and it was disgusting it was very violent and the police were not stopping it because they were like we didn't want you to do this anyway you deserve it so over 200 people were injured another 169 were arrested for obstructing traffic once they reached the white house quote through all the confusion and turmoil the women marched calmly keeping a military formation as best they could they spent a lot of time practicing and really saying like things are going to happen to us Mm -hmm. We might get hurt. You might have some terrible things said to you, but we have to remain calm because that's been a thing that forever, unfortunately, for women, if we lose our temper, we're too emotional and we don't deserve the things we want. So right, we're still taught that rhetoric today. Yeah, absolutely. You know, just you have to just sit and take it. And a lot of times being calm makes them more angry. So I'm sure that had a lot to do with it, too, with the violence escalating, because if you ignore that's TikTok. Like that woman is like, be polite to men to hit on you. And like, that doesn't work because if you're polite or even if you're calm and you ignore it, it still just turns to violence. I've been teaching my student workers how to scream really crazy things at cat callers. (laughs) (laughs) 
So the parade was a success, even though it did take a turn and people were hurt. It did overshadow his inauguration, which was a huge point of it. They made it clear that they were not going to be ignored. And it was kind of a symbol to him to either be on our side or we're going to make your lives hell. <laughs> and they did. <laughs> they, they just tormented him until... Eventually, in 1919, the passing of the 19th Amendment happened. But yeah, they were they would take turns and hang out in front of the White House. They had like cowbells. They were being as disruptive as they could to get his attention. And a lot of these women were arrested repeatedly. Alice Paul was arrested at least three times, and she did a hunger strike each time as like a symbolic, you know, I'm a prisoner, or a political prisoner. And the third time is when they force fed her they shoved a tube down her throat and force fed her like oh, egg yolks yeah and she ended up developing gastritis and she suffered her rest for her life because of it but because of that and because of the horrible treatment they eventually arrest the wrong woman and she, and that's the news got a hold of it she was she somehow got a letter to her husband and he and that was they didn't give us the right and I, again i say us white women they didn't give white women the right to vote because they decided it was the right thing to do. It was basically blackmail at that point. It was going to yeah. come out what they had done to these women and basically tortured them in prison. And, but yeah, Iron Jawed Angel shows a lot of the mistreatment and the force feeding. And it, it's it's a lot, but it's a very good movie. Um, highly recommend it. But for Paul, the success of the parade lay largely in its novelty. There had never been a procession of women for any cause. So people wanted to go see it. I mean, it was a spectacle. Women may have never marched before, but they would again, thanks largely to these suffragettes, which remember when Trump was inaugurated, the Women's March was like the next biggest version of this. And this was definitely modeled after this. It was beautiful. Mm -hmm. It makes a point when we joined forces, but this time we were able to join forces, all of us, and nobody was excluded. So that's kind of like the beauty that maybe we have learned a little bit from history. But yeah, it's been 100 years now. Mm-hmm. We, again, since white women got the right to vote and, you know, we're still fighting for a lot of things like the wage disparities and such. But hopefully, hopefully that'll be history someday, too. Yes. Yes. One day, one day far, hopefully not too far in the future, we'll be able to talk about that in, in terms of history, you know, and how that's equal equal now you know we've got a woman in the white house and mm-hmm. we're moving on up things are happening and, and glass ceilings shattering one by one absolutely i'll try to find iron dried angels maybe i can stream it to pay yeah that'd be cool so we can all yeah, i don't it. think i've seen it I, I just keep thinking of that movie hysteria which is like so not even the same thing it's just like mm-hmm. in the same time period so yeah yeah no it's super good yeah it took a american women's history college at uca and we watched it and i was like holy shit (laughs) because they don't really talk about how many women were like brutally beaten and tortured and you know for the right to vote and that's all they wanted was just to be able to vote yeah i mean there's been other instances not just this where you know women try to vote and would get arrested and so it's it's wild to me it's not even that long ago Hundred years is not a lot in mm-hmm. history, and even less for for black women. And mm-hmm. yeah, I know it just blows my mind how many people don't realize it was the sixties. Yeah, like it, it just it, and that's definitely. I mean, that's in a lot of people's lifetimes. 
easily. So. Yeah, and because of them, anytime the polls are open, I'm there. Mm-hmm. Local election, federal election, state Absolutely. election, I am there because they fought really hard for my rights to be mm-hmm. there. I'm not going to let them down. Yeah. And speaking of that, there were some really horrible things that passed some legislatures across the country. And, you know, one being Georgia, voter suppression. So yep. I do urge everybody to make sure you know what these laws are. And it's... <sighs> From what I've read, one of the things in that law is that you can't give people water or food if they're in line, but mm-hmm. it doesn't say you can't sell it. So people are like, one person go through line, pass out pennies, and then somebody else come in and be like, oh, you're buying that for a penny? So, I mean, there yeah. might be loopholes. Yeah, just we just have to get creative. Mm-hmm. We just got to keep fighting harder. Right. Be like Alice Paul. Be a revolutionary, but also don't leave anybody behind. So that's that's the moral of this segment. Yes. <laughs> We can be radical. We can be revolutionary. We can fight for freedom. We just have to make sure we're fighting for everybody's freedom. Yes. Be like Alice Paul, but be inclusive. Yes. Absolutely. Today is also, this week is Trans Visibility Week and today is Trans Visibility Day. The day we're recording, not the day it comes out, but love all of our trans brothers, sisters, they, thems. Yes. All of you. I love you. And you like our support is behind you. Like legislation has not been kind in Arkansas to trans individuals. Um, Louisiana just introduced some bills that I'm hoping don't go through, but I'm really scared that they're going to. Mm -hmm. I'm like to the point I'm willing to start like fostering people's kids that are trans so I can help them get equitable health health care because I'm just so nervous. But yeah, it's it's very scary. I'm going to do from Batman the orig- original. Oh, my voice went out. <laughs> Batman. <laughs> Have you watched the new Justice League? Yes. It is long. It is, but, but it's very good. And I is. still stand by my love for Barry Allen because he's just happy to be there. He is. He was a comedic relief that I enjoyed. But I also started watching the new Harley Quinn. And oh. I know we're going to still watch it together if I can figure out how to do it without getting sued. It's hilarious. Oh, man. It's so good. Terry and I have been watching it. Anywho, listen. Are we ready for this? Okay. So the first listener story is coming from Batman the Original. Rasputin, the man whose Wonder Wiener started one of the greatest podcasts ever. You right. (laughs) Known for his mesmerism, his sexy time exploits, and dot, 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 his farts. British military intelligence followed Rasputin for several years. Agents listened to him boink his way through Russian nobility. They watched the man drink enough to float the Russian Navy. But did you know his flatulence was legendary? I didn't. I I did not know that. Strap in. So Rasputin was banned from the Winter Palace in 1916. Tsar Nicholas was having a meeting with high-ranking military officials and representatives of foreign countries devising Russia's exit from World War I. Rasputin, after visiting with the Tsarist, decides to avail himself of the facilities. The unfortunate water closet he chose was in the hallway outside of Nicholas's meeting. (laughs) I love where this is going. From MI6 reports, Rasputin fogged the entire hallway so badly the bigwigs ran outside into the snow to escape. Oh my god. For nearly an hour, the palace guard was forced to listen to Rasputin grunt and groan and toot and grunt (laughs) trumpet. I love this. Batman, I love you. When he was finished with his fart foray, he was physically escorted from the premises. 
The palace informant amongst the guard was said it was openly discussed whether a horse had diarrhea in that toilet. Oh so, Magic Dong was also known to purposefully fart in rooms so loudly that the windows would shake. Now, there's something <laughs> you didn't know. I didn't. I didn't know that. That was beautiful. Oh yeah. My God, I mean, I new, new Rasputin so facts. Like, I love it. Oh, hell yeah. Do you think when he was dumped in the river, he had so much gas in his body he floated faster? Maybe. Maybe that kept him afloat so that he didn't drown immediately because he took maybe a while to he didn't drown. Yeah. He eventually drowned. Yeah. But maybe like but, but it took him a minute. I don't know. There's some like stuff that says that it looked like he died of like hypothermia. So like he didn't. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> they did everything to him. It's crazy. Really that wow. was beautiful. Thank you, Batman. That did was beautifully that written. Vincent Ackle. There's my dog. Vincent Ackles is going to voice the new Batman? Yes, I did. Yes. For those of you not watching, her dog just Kool-Aid manned his way. Yes, he <laughs> did. Like, oh, yeah. Anywho. All right. So the next one I'm excited about. Normally, we kind of cold read these, but I have read this one because yes. on Instagram, this is from Nick. He sent me a message because in the 100th episode, I think in, yeah, it was Erica's segment. We were like talking to our FBI agents in the computer because yes. of the things that we were Googling and saying. So he was like, I actually know how this works. Would you like me to explain it to you? And I was yes. like, please do, because I Google some sketchy shit for this podcast. And I was wondering what would happen to me. So he's broken down like what you'd have to Google to actually get on their radar. And it's beautiful. <laughs> okay, good. Because I Googled BDSM for beginners on my work computer yesterday. And I was really <laughs> worried about what our IT our IT team was gonna say it was for a reason though i was helping a friend oh that's hilarious yeah i think the worst thing is i googled how long does it take a pig to eat a person one time for medieval crimes and then i was like "Uh (laughs) uh-oh i the other day had to google can you get a boner after death and then looked up the different deaths that cause after death boners it was also for a reason yeah there's always a reason you know there was a reason I told him about the pig thing, so I think that comes up. But yeah, I was really, really excited, and he broke it down. So even uh, he's explained it to me like I'm a child. So here we go. <laughs> Nick is hilarious. Okay, so it says, <laughs> "Sorry, it's been a day, and manacle laughter helps a bit." So in a semi-cold room at the NSA facility in Virginia, there sits a box. A very unassuming, it lacks a personality of Siri and the humor of Alexa, but even though it can't order coffee or tell a decent fart joke, the Cray A5 supercomputer does do is process information at speeds that would boggle the human mind. It scans information on every digital platform faster than Taco Bell can turn into farts in a human being and probably less violent as well. So let's (laughs) say you're a mild-mannered podcast host that needs to research how to dispose of a human body murders that have gone unsolved, and how deep you would have to bury a body to be scented by cadaver dogs. Old Skynet really don't give a flip. What the NSA, not the FBI, LOL, so apparently we were super wrong, cares about is an ever-evolving string of words, keywords that are subversive and possibly treasonous. Let's say that you research terrorism from a historical standpoint. You might flag a tier one tag, and they will casually watch your search history for a few days. 
if you continue to hit keywords and a combination of keywords, then you get kicked to tier two, which is just more invasive watching of your activity. This will last about 10 to 30 days. If you continue to hit the tags and raise flags, then their invasiveness turns into a prostate exam at tier three. <laughs> yet still no human has actually seen this yet. There are a set of supercomputers that do nothing but scan data and find synchronous information. If, for example, you were to search a string of sites on how to make bombs, where bombs are most effective, how to hide bombs in plain sight, and then photos of bomb victims, these computers will see you interact with that. Also, is searching the same and similar information. At Tier 3, they will collect data on what you do on Facebook, watch your YouTube. They will assign a bot to watch your Instagram and Twitter, etc., now say you're a real weirdo and you have no idea how to use a VPN. And even if you are, let's say you find your way to the dark web and search, say, chemicals to make bombs, wiring diagrams of various and sundry things from secret places. While you toil away at this imaginary hobby, Cray the computer has now booted you to tier four. An actual person at, at any of the several and most likely several together analysts will watch your every footstep on the internet. They will monitor your text, your call, they'll dig up into every known associate that you have. Who do you talk to? How often? Your family's friends, your pet groomer, the person that you bullied in middle school that secretly stalks you on Facebook. Tier four will definitely have actual monitoring on your movement in real life. If you are a low down dirty person that is actually up to some shit and Cray puts two and two together, then you get kicked to tier five. You don't want to be on tier five. This tier is a colonoscopy. <laughs> They will actively pass your dossier to every agency that deals with your brand of mischief. If it's human-related, such as money, drugs, sex trafficking, forgery, then the FBI and Homeland Security gets it. If you favor illegal alcohol, drugs, guns, bombs, and then the ATF and probably several other intelligent agencies will camp on your butt. Like to sell intelligent secrets, agencies will camp on you. Like to sell secrets, NSA, FBI, DIA, CIA, and HS are going to be on you like dirt on a public toilet. <laughs> so many butt jokes in this. Terrorism of any flavor are the FBI and a host of international fun guys. They have a long track record of finding and shutting things down before it gets out of hand. Okay, so quick breakdown. Tier one, you're a podcaster researching stuff. They don't care. Tier two, you keep looking at weird shit, but they still don't really give a fuck. Tier three, you just keep doing bad stuff, not at you. Now they're going to look at you in depth. Tier four, oh, you done fucked up and peeps are involved, but not the nasty marshmallow ones. Tier five, you're absolutely in it. Now they've invaded your life, probably about to break in your front door. Hey, so peeps are delicious. <laughs> I do not like them. <laughs> Love peeps. Oh, they're so crunchy and marshmallowy. They're so good if you roast them. Um, 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 um. Anyway. It says, I hope this allays some fears that the FBI watches your webcam. Keep your nose clean and they'll never sniff your direction. As for Googling how long it takes for pigs to eat people, that's classified under human curiosity and mostly ignored. Google where to buy those pigs and you'll flag yourself. It's okay. I know where to buy the pigs. You're good. <laughs> Anyhow, enjoy your evening and congrats on 100 episodes. Not finished yet, but loving it to death so far. Cheers, Nick. Thank you for breaking that down. Yes, thank you for breaking that down. I feel a little bit better about Googling after death boners. <laughs> yeah, I also, I'm like, oh, I was complaining about the wrong person watching me. So, I know, right? Sorry, FBI. FBI. I would not mean to blame you. <laughs> yes, cracked me up. Very well put, too. So, yeah, I don't Google enough weird shit to be flagged yet, I don't think. I think we're good. This is also from A-Nick. Hello, A-Nick. 
<laughs> Nick says, howdy. Listening to you describe ossuaries, and I'm pointing at my radio going, I've been there, as though anyone can hear me cackle like a demon. Dude, I've been there. I do that to all my podcasts. <laughs> it's it's bad. It always fascinates me how death was once revered and celebrated, and then the church was all, oh no, death be bad. Death <laughs> is a fascinating subject, lol. I'm a mortuary student, living the dream. In Europe, you essentially rent a grave for 15 to 20 years. Then they dig you up and either toss your bones in a communal grave or in an ossuary. I think it'd be cool to have my skull in an ossuary being all spooky and, you know, skullish. Ooh, ha, 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 ha. That's in there, I promise. I think it's the same, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. In America, graves are forever, which is weird. Even some of the better known cemeteries in, say, Paris or even Highgate were originally designed to charnel charnel houses yeah yep yeah that one charnel houses the mausoleums had a large repository for putting old bones in so new members could fill the vaults les innocents literally had three to five bodies buried on top of each other in the plague and revolution years the idea of one six-foot hole for one person was essentially quote-unquote invented in the 1840s some cemeteries still do double vaulted graves two people buried on top of each other Funeral industry insider info, they reverse the direction of the top coffin, head to toe. It's a weird tradition. Anyhow, love the podcast. Hemlock is an awesome guest. Got to get some sleep, but I'm going backwards in episodes tomorrow. More. He says that Lucy from Wine and Crime turned me onto your podcast. Medieval cat buttholes had me laughing so hard I farted. I've been listening backwards and fucking love your podcast. Your guests are amazing. I love hearing your laugh and all the funny and morbid content. I never needed it, knew I needed it in my ear holes. Thanks for all you do. Cheers, Nick. One of the other ones I read a while ago was about mentioned a fart. Oh, yeah, it was Rasputin's fart. Farts everywhere. Farts for there's everyone. So many farts. Yeah, there's more of that. He he did come back and explain it. He said that he had pulled over because some, something weird was happening. And it turned out to be like, I think some deer doing it or something. So he was trying to make like a weird video to like, I think, send somebody. And he got to laughing. And he farted right as like a policeman had come up to his window to be like, what are you doing on the side of the road videotaping deer doing it? So it was a whole thing, but it's pretty funny. <laughs> videotaping deer doing it and farting. Yes. That would be like, just take me to jail. Just go <laughs> ahead and take me to jail. Doing something nefarious. Just don't even ask. Just take me to jail. Yeah, don't worry about it. <laughs> don't worry about it. Mind your, mind your business. Mind your business. Why are you judging me? <laughs> that is probably one of the best reviews ever. Laugh so It long. is. It really is. Medieval cats are just hilarious. So many buttholes, too. It was just a good time. Which also, by the way, Nick sent me a gift in the P.O. box. So thank you, Nick. Oh, really- that's nice. I know. Like two different gifts. And they both came on like really bad days. So I think he's a witch or psychic or... All right. So this says, I have some spooky shit in my town. My uncle has seen this light, but I've always been too scared to stick around to look for myself. It's called the Fremont Light, and it's in North Carolina. Okay. So I'm just going to read this. For many years, something very strange has been happening in the small town of Fremont. At certain times, a strange light emerges from the graveyard and travels over to the nearby railroad tracks. That kind of reminds me of Arkansas. Yeah, it's the garden light. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't think it starts. I think that starts and stops on the tracks, right? You can see it in other places like near the tracks because it's like that whole swamp gas bouncy aroundy thing. But like it's everybody goes to the tracks to look for it. Okay, Okay. Okay. Yeah. 
The light will hover around the railroad tracks, sometimes moving back and forth, up and down. If someone approaches, the light will move closer as if it has a question to ask. Yeah, girding like it's that. farther away. I don't like it coming towards you. Yeah. No, no, no. Before dawn, the light will travel back to the cemetery and disappear into one particular grave. Huh. Okay. That's extra spooky <laughs> for some reason. This story of what the light is and how it came to be takes us back to a time when Fremont was a little more exciting than a quiet town that it is now. Back more than a century ago, horse racing, cockfighting, and gambling were all common pastimes in North Carolina. Fremont, being right on the newly built railroad line and halfway between Wilson and Goldsboro, would throw festivities every summer. Tourists would take day trips from the cities to the little town to take part in the excitement and to enjoy the whiskey that flowed freely all day. Who doesn't love a good free whiskey? For real. In Fremont, one of the regulars at the events was a local man by the name of Bolton. Bolton was a giant of a man, massively built, a hulk of muscle and bone. He was also a very, very, very heavy drinker. Whenever there was racing and gambling going on, Bolton would work the crowd, performing feats of strength in exchange for a drink. Hmm. That sounds like fun. His signature trick was smashing a whiskey barrel to pieces using his head. <laughs> okay. He would celebrate his triumph by gulping down the whiskey that the appreciative onlookers passed his way. Well, he probably didn't feel it because he was drunk. Yeah, that makes sense. So many concussions. I wonder if he was able to speak French after all those concussions. (laughs) He probably had a TBI. (laughs) On one of these festival days, the weather was good and the crowd was large and generous. And Bolton had drunk more than even his usual share. He began to boast, saying he could smash anything with his head. Oh, he is that guy at a bar. Punch me in the stomach. (laughs) He was soon breaking bottles and two by fours on his head without seeming to feel any pain. As he became more and more drunk, Bolton's boasting grew until he declared that he could stop a train with his head. No, Bolton, no. Oh, no, honey, no. By this time, the crowd was nearly as drunk as Bolton and they cheered him on as he swaggered down the railroad tracks. No, it's like that episode of The Office where Dwight tells Michael to do a flip off the roof. Oh, this is... Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, Oh, no, no, no. 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 This is not going to go well. Okay, let's just rip it off like a (sighs) band-aid. So he swaggered down to the railroad tracks and stood right in the middle of the line, sticking his big head out in the direction of the next arrival. In those days, trains ran on time, and so before too long, the crowd heard the whistle and the rumble of the express rolling down the tracks. Now, the sound of an oncoming train was enough to sober up a few in the crowd who actually tried to pull Bolton off the tracks, but he refused, and as the train drew even closer, he loudly proclaimed that he was tougher than any train. The train soon proved him very, very, very wrong about that. Oh, the crowd gathered what re- oh god oh. gathered what remained of Bolton and carried him down to the graveyard. They found the local preacher and poured enough coffee into him so that he was sober enough to say a few words. I thought they meant his body for a second. I thought they poured the body yeah. for the priest or the like, coffin. Oh. Yeah, I was like, coffee ain't gonna help him, guys. <laughs> Oh my God! So my mind future- fractured in four different directions. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Oh, okay, so the preacher was drunk. All right. Not much better, but better than I imagined at first. After they had buried him, the drinking and carousing continued. 
but became awake for Bolton. I was going to say, they got to celebrate his life somehow. People figured he would have wanted it that way, which is probably true. He was quite the party animal. Ever since that night, the mysterious light has been seen rising out of the graveyard and traveling to the spot on the railroad tracks where Bolton met his end. People have gotten close enough to the light to get a good look and say that inside that eerie green glow seems to be the shape of a particularly large human skull. And a few have even said that they've heard a spectral voice coming from the glow. The voice is indistinct as coming from another world, but it seems to be asking a question. It wants to know if they can spare any whiskey. What? No, thanks. Fun fact, the reason we didn't have alcohol at our wedding for guests is because the wedding the night before at that venue got shut down by police because the preacher drove home drunk. What? Yep, he drove home drunk. And you know the way to that place. It's super curvy because it was on a mountain. Terrifying. Yeah, and he got pulled over by police and got a DUI. Well, that's ridiculous. Okay, so this is the picture. That looks like a train. Yeah, it does look like it. Oh, it's the it's the trees. I thought it was like the smoke coming out of the smokestack. Oh, no. I yeah, think it's I'm just dumb. To, it's fine. It's supposed to be foggy, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, that's exactly what the garden light looks like. Yeah. Okay. So this story is from Claire. It's titled Storytime Unexpected Visitor. Ooh. So, new job is located in Joliet, Illinois, not too far from historic Route 66. Do you say route or route? I say usually route, but with 66, I always say route. Okay. I had a whole conversation with someone yesterday about my other friends from Boston who make fun of me for saying route. I do when it comes to like a road. But not yeah. 66. I don't but know. But yeah, but then the 66, it's Route. Yeah. Anyway, so it's not too far from historic Route 66. Oh, Joliet's where the Blues Brothers. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. As cool as that is, I can't help wonder if I unintentionally brought something home with me. I am notoriously navigationally challenged, even with GPS and true to form. I got lost looking for a gas station with a public restroom. Oh, God, I've been there. During the quest, fueled by a combination of a full bladder and too many liquids, I ended up driving at random for nearly an hour and passed several sites that land on the spooky list, including the haunted Rialto Theater, the Abraham Lincoln Cemetery, along with at least four smaller ones, the Des Plaines River, and the Mother Road herself. And those are just the ones I can think of that could be a factor. Who knows how many spooky sites I unknowingly drove past? Girl, yeah, you haunted. <laughs> now time for the ghost stories so hold on to your butts hell yeah the day after the trek my uncle told me he had a story that would creep me out he then proceeded to tell me that he felt something poke him in the side hard enough to wake him up from a sound sleep oh no thinking it was me since that is how i typically wake him up he mumbled he mumbled really he mumbled the keys are in my pocket and tried to doze back off when he didn't hear any movement he sat up on his elbow and looked around His room was still dark and I was passed out downstairs. He thought it was odd, but said he just went back to sleep so he didn't overthink it. Smart man. (laughs) My heart dropped into my butt and I told him my own strange story. I too felt a poke in the shoulder and thought it was my uncle trying to wake me up. Oh, no. No. Whereas I just softly poke him and say, hey, he is notorious for being annoying, yammering away until I wake up. (laughs) That shit pisses me off, but I digress. Girl, I would stab someone. (laughs) since nothing accompanied the poke except silence i knew it wasn't my uncle 
Even half asleep, my next logical thought was maybe my cat, Kittles. Oh, my God. I love that name. (gasps) That's such a good name. Who we affectionately refer to as Mao was walking on me to be fed. I muttered something like, no, Mao, and sleepily reached out an arm to pet him and felt nothing but air. No cat. No uncle. No explanation for the poke at all. Not knowing my uncle and I had a shared experience and still being half asleep, I just rode it off and fell back to sleep. Sometime later, in the middle of the night, I woke to the sound of a woman humming. The only two people in the house are me and my uncle, and no TV or phone was on, so there was no reason for there to be any humming. Mind you, this wasn't quiet humming either. It was as loud as a normal speaking voice and incredibly clear. It wasn't a specific song as far as I could tell, just casual humming that continued for a few seconds before ending with a yoo-hoo whistle and fading away. Oh, hell no. no. Why is that scarier? (laughs) I would pee in the bed. This is this is like the time I was at my house by myself and a woman down my hallway where my feet were like hanging said hello and I was like oh we're done we're done Mm-mm. here no don't like that so yeah no a you who whistle would absolutely like I, kill me it kills I don't like that I yes. don't know why that got me so bad but don't mm-hmm. yeah no that like full body chills anyway normally I would have been beyond freaked out not only because um hello something physically poking both of us and a disembodied voice. But because as a sensitive, my immediate thought is, is this truly a gentle gentle spirit or something darker? Weirdly, there was no fear or anxiety attached with either encounter. It was just, quote unquote, something that happened. Looking back on it, there was a surreal out of time feeling when I was driving around aimlessly. At the time, I just chalked it up to nostalgia and the history of the area. But now I can't help wonder if it was something more paranormal. Whether it was an unseen passenger that hitched a ride home with me from Joliet or just someone or something passing through, the fact that my uncle and I both experienced the same phenomenon, even while half asleep, definitely lends some credibility. Mm-hmm. Even as a sensitive, I'm more likely to spook myself than actually experience something paranormal. But there's no denying we both had something strange and unexplained happen to us that night. I think I may stay off the mother road for a while, just saying. Claire. <laughs> wow. Claire so, I would literally pee in the bed if I heard something whistle at me in the middle of the oh. night. Claire is Patreon fam too. She's the reason the Discord looks so fucking badass. Oh, yeah, that Claire. Yeah. 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 She's organized the Discord where it has like fun rooms and themes. And it's just been fantastic. And she's wonderful. So thank you, Claire. Oh, my gosh. That was, I I don't like that. (laughs) I, I, no, I don't want things whistling at me Mm -mm. that aren't there. Nope. mm, Keep your hands to yourself, ghosts. Yes. No yeah. Don't touch me. So the last thing, since this week we talked about Ouija boards on the podcast with Reese Spook Girls, yes. I asked TikTok and Instagram if anybody had any <laughs> Ouija board stories. And I got a couple. We'll start with the Tiki Talkie. Tiki Talkie. Tiki Talkie. Which you can follow me. I am at Keena Leanne and you are at Book It Babe. I digress. Okay, so the first one's from 90s Nerd Podcast. And it just said, ooh, spooky. I've never played with one because I am a big chicken. <laughs> and then I got a oh, hell no. Uh, next is, I'm too scared to ever play with one. I don't need that kind of negative energy in my life. But I like hearing other people's stories. <laughs> and then somebody wrote, someone believes in me. So that's kind of creepy. I don't okay. know who you are. So this next one's the one where I'm like, um, okay, so I'm not going to say this word because I don't fuck with demons, but it's a demon that starts with a Z. Oh. If you know, you know, I'm not saying I won't it. say it. 
Okay. Because isn't that the one where, like, you say his name, he can, like, fuck with you? No, thanks. Yeah, like, I've been reading some stuff that says says he might be a hoax, but, like, I don't want to chance it. Let's just say his name is Ho-Ho. Ho-Ho. Okay, so Ho-Ho contacted me through the board, called himself Seth. He's been fucking with me since I was six. Do not play Ouija unless you know all the rules. And always say goodbye. That thing is evil. So I wrote back and I was like, oh, no. I don't even like saying his name in my head because I think he's going to come get me. <laughs> yeah. Somebody needs to go get cleansed. Somebody come get her. Okay. Technically played with the Ouija board once. It was in high school. And I was spending the night in a tent in a friend's front yard. And her mom wouldn't let us have a real Ouija board. So we drew one on a piece of notebook paper and tied some sticks together for the planchette and then we ripped the paper so yeah <laughs> so bango betty makes incredible jewelry and oh, i love her north little rock arkansas and uh if you're, if you're in the speakeasy on facebook and if you're not you should be but i posted she made some amazing jewelry necklaces based on fine art so there was like a frida kahlo and a van gogh and i'm obsessed with the artemisia gentileschi one because she's one of my favorite artists of all time anyway so she just wrote i keep trying to do one but none of my friends will touch it <laughs> So if you're in North Little Rock, need a friend. And then Hate Your Taste Pod said, one time at a sleepover when I was 12, we played with a Ouija board and my friend got so scared. So we put it away. The next day I got it back out and the planchette was snapped in half. None of us fessed up to doing it. So it was clearly ghost. (laughs) Even though I haven't played with one, I have a planchette tattoo. I don't know if you can see it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, 90% of all the replies were, I don't mess with it, but I like stories. Hey you, thanks for listening to the March Extra AF. I apologize that it is coming out late. I feel like life is kicking my ass. In the great words of Jenna Marble, whom I desperately wish would come back to the internet, life is short, but also like terribly and insufferably long. <laughs> Just one thing after the other. If you don't follow me on my personal social media or my TikTok, which is uh, Kina Leanne, by the way, shameless plug. I have a herniated disc in my back and it's just been a struggle. I had no idea how incredible painful these things are, but I'm in physical therapy. I'm on the mend. I will be better. (laughs) So I'm a little behind on the podcast stuff, but I'm trying really hard to get caught up so that I can keep pumping out some good content for y'all because I got a lot of really exciting things coming up and just hang in there. If something's late, just be like, oh yeah, Kina's broken again, but she's, she's got this coming out. It'll be awesome. It will be awesome. I promise y'all. And also when we recorded this, a lot of things have happened since then. We, we mentioned some of the bills going through Congress and other states. And since we recorded, Arkansas did pass a bill that denied the use of our state gender affirming health care. And the governor did veto it, but they overrid the veto. So it's been very devastating for the state. But the ACLU is on the ground. They are going to sue the shit out of them. I have no doubt. So if you want to help, this is the first ban in the United States, which is incredibly dangerous because a lot of states are going to see this and they're going to jump on the bandwagon. So if you want to help Arkansas, keep an eye on the ACLU, see what they need. If you're in Arkansas, find out who's going to be running against everybody who voted for this and then find out how you can help those people, help their campaign. If you can make calls, if you can write letters, do what you can. And also, if you can look up resources of all the organizations that are in Arkansas that are helping trans kids, 
you know, just keep an eye out and see what they need. I also want to say that in the U.S. there have been so many heart-wrenching, traumatizing shootings in the last month, and it is so devastating that this is where we are again. You know, with COVID and lockdowns, we hadn't seen mass shootings in a few months, and just to be hit by so many so fast, and also so many that were racially motivated. I always have a Black Lives Matter card in the show notes. So if you drop down and look, there's always one there of resources. I've added some more. I have one for the Asian American Pacific Islander Alliances, um, shows the resources on how you can help them and how you can stop Asian hate. I also wanted to shout out really quick. There is an incredible ramen restaurant in San Antonio and they were hit by a hate crime. The owner refused to lift the mask mandate when Texas lifted it, and he got a lot of backlash, and then one night somebody or some buddies all came and just vandalized his shop with the most horrendous racial slurs you can think of, and a lot of them were COVID-related, which is rhetoric that has been normalized in a lot of news, but that's a whole nother rant for another time, but... You know, the neighborhood, the community, everybody came out and, you know, replaced the racial slurs with love. And then they started getting hit with death threats. So they have been struggling. But just to tell you how cool these people are, right? People are wanting to help. And a lot of people are not from San Antonio that want to help. They have it set up where you can email noodletreetexastx at gmail.com and you can buy a gift card and they will use that gift card to feed the community, people in San Antonio that need food. They're dealing with something incredibly hurtful and devastating, and yet they are still giving back to the community. So if you're in San Antonio, go get you some noodles because you are not going to regret it. I'm from Arkansas. We don't have good ramen there, okay? So when I moved here and we got to try this, I was blown away that my entire life I didn't know this existed. So that's a whole other thing. But anyway. You can follow them on social media. It's Noodle Tree TX, and they are just delightful. Thank you so much for listening, and and I need your help. I need more stories for next month because your girl's running low. Okay, I don't know if we even have enough stories for next month. So so please help. <laughs> Anything your favorite historical nugget, your favorite landmark, your favorite legend, your favorite story your grandparents told you anything, your ghosty stories, I want to hear them all. So send that into historicalafpod at gmail.com. Or if you follow the pod on social media and you just want to DM it, that's fine too. I will take it whatever the easiest way for you to get this information to me, I will take it. If you would like to join Patreon, that is patreon.com slash historicalafpod. And you can watch this episode and see all the visuals. You can see all the deleted scenes. I cut quite a bit. Almost every episode has at least an hour cut out of it. So there's a lot to watch and all the benefits. I've started doing giveaways every month. And I just wanted to also say, Amber, if you're listening, stop listening now. (laughs) One of our Patreon fam has COVID and has been in the ICU. We mentioned it at the beginning of this episode. And she's been having a really rough time. But the Patreon community, we have all... I've never experienced so much love and support, I think, in my life. But we've all gotten together and we've put together this incredible care package to send to her in the ICU because she can have, you know, activities and diabetic-friendly foods and such. 
So we have that coming to her, but just the fact that everybody was so willing and so eager to help in any way they can has just warmed my heart. And it is truly such a a cool community. And also another Patreon fan, Marie, is getting ordained this weekend. So we're going to live stream it and just cheer her on from home. And we're just so incredibly proud of her. She's so close. This summer, she's going to be a full-ass priest. She's worked so hard in seminary. We're just so proud. And we're just constantly cheering each other on, you know, new jobs, new places to live, you know, support when things go wrong, if somebody's sick or having a hard time with their health. Just so much support that I would have never imagined that this was possible with a podcast. I just am so thankful for each and every single one of you and thankful for all the future fam that are coming because I know you're out there. I know you're coming and you want to be welcomed with really weird memes because that's what happens when you join Patreon and you get into the Discord. You're welcomed with a flood of the weirdest gifts you can find. It's it's beautiful. Also, we have some sales coming up on merch, so check that out. Shop.spreadshirt.com slash historical AF pod. Uh, new designs are coming, and then you can also go to Kina's Creation. Nope. You can also go to Etsy.com slash shop slash Kina's Creations, and that's creations with a K for things that I can't sell on the shop yet that the company I use doesn't have them, so I have things like wine glasses, beer mugs, beer koozies, shot glasses, you know, all the boozy stuff. And finally, in the month of April, if you leave us a review on podchaser.com slash historical AF pod, a quarter is donated to Meals on Wheels. And you can review the entire podcast and you can review every single episode too. And it's a quarter for each one. And when I respond to you, that's another quarter. So if we want to raise some money, give some reviews, hopefully good ones. Uh, (laughs) So thank you so much again for everything you guys have done, all your support being so patient, being good people. I love you guys. I'll see you next month with Ashley. Okay, bye.